0: You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. We've been studying the book of Ephesians verse by verse, and we're going to enter into that next section. Let me invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to finish out the very first chapter here this morning. And in doing so, we're going to turn our identity, we're going to turn our attention from finding out what our identity is to finding out what God's identity is. We've learned that our activity is governed by our identity. Whoever we think we are is going to determine whatever it is that we do. And um, what we're gonna learn in this section is that our identity is more inseparably linked to God's identity than anything else. Whoever you think God is, is gonna greatly determine how you live. Um, and we're gonna get to know God better as we study this particular section here. Um, How well do you know God? How how well do you know him? How well could you describe God to a complete stranger? Um, It may surprise you to know that often Andrea and I talk about you. Did you know that? And because Andrea and I can run in different circles in the church, there's people in the church that Andrea knows that I don't know. And there's people in the church that I know that Andrea doesn't know, but we want to know all of you. And so we get together and we compare notes. And so sometimes we're trying to figure out who this person is in our church. And the conversation kind of goes like this. I'll say, you know, Andrea, they come to the nine o'clock service. They sit about three quarters of the way back. Uh, disobediently they should be uh, further toward the front but, but 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 they're there they're faithful and they're, they're kind of over there to the right and you know um, the, he's got ripped jeans and he's got um, this man hair and a bun or something I don't know we, we describe you in different ways and I, would you like to know how we describe you? Uh, We're not gonna tell you, but anyway, we talk about you. We're trying to to identify you. Who is this person that we're talking about here? Um, The the reason why I feel absolutely no guilt over that at all is because I know that Andrea and I have been the subject of your conversations, okay? You know that cute little couple uh, at the church, yeah. So, So it's okay, we're trying to identify one another. Well, how well would you be able to describe God. Well, we're going to learn some of those things here. The indicatives, you know how we've been talking about the indicatives come before the imperatives? All the indicatives in this section of scripture are about God. They're not about you. And so we're going to get to know God a little better as we dive into this passage. Let's begin reading here in verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 1. If you're ready, say go. Verse 15, for this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And so the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesians and he wants them to know he has been praying about them, giving thanks to God for them. And so if we're going to get to know God better, one of the things that we need to do is we need to learn how to thank God for calling us deeper. Thank God for calling you deeper. Paul's heart was overflowing with gratitude because of two things, one vertical, one horizontal. First of all, he was deeply grateful for their faith. Their vertical relationship with God, their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Apparently, the faith of the Ephesians was famous. People were talking about the faith that they had in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul's saying, I can't stop thanking God for you. I can't stop thinking about you. And your faith has become famous. And this is just, as I was studying this and praying through this this week, I couldn't help but think of people in our church that I just had to stop and thank God for. I am so thankful. Look at this place, this place is filled up on a Sunday morning when you could be asleep or in November, you could be at the beach today. I mean, it's a nice day. You could be doing a lot of stuff. I'm so thankful. Your attendance is an expression of your desire to go deeper. And I'm so thankful. People in the church that have made progress and they're going deeper in their relationship with God. Vertically, you've got an appetite for things of God. But he doesn't stop at the vertical. He turns it to the horizontal. He's also thanking God for their love all of the saints. Now listen, it's one thing to love the lovable saints, but he notices they're loving all the saints. How many of you know that not all the saints are always lovable, right? That word all means each and every, each and every saint and again I could just I had to stop and thank God for all of the ways that I know love is being expressed in this body because we're not always so lovable. And loving people through the hard seasons and loving people when they're hard to love, loving people that are not as deep as you or maybe don't have as strong a faith as you and they're beginning this faith journey. Paul was aware that horizontally they were expressing this love to one another and in so many different ways that's happening in our church and that's the reason why people want to be a part of this body and if you're new to this body and you're kinda checking it out, um, you need to know if you are part of this body you're gonna be challenged to go deeper in your faith and we're gonna love you unconditionally no matter how shallow you are, okay? That's our commitment. That is what Paul was thanking God for about these Ephesian saints. Are you a thankful person? Are you deeply thankful? Listen, if you would become a deeply thankful person do you know it would change you? You see, deeply thankful people overcome the temptation to be self-focused and stop focusing on all the things you don't have. When you're a thankful person, you thank God for what you have that you don't even deserve. If you are a deeply thankful people, you overcome temptations to make it all about you. If you're a deeply thankful person, you can, overcome the temptation to doubt God when you go through hard seasons in your life because you realize God has already been so good to you already. When you're a deeply thankful person, you exchange grumbling and complaining for gratitude. And so if you're grumbling and complaining all the time, it shows that you need to go deeper in your thankfulness to God. Paul could not stop giving thanks for what he saw in these Ephesian believers. And so thank God for calling me deeper. Here's the next thing. If you wanna get to know God better, ask him. Ask God to know him better. Verse 17. He says, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. When we talk about knowing God, don't make the mistake of thinking we're talking about knowing more facts about God. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about knowing him intimately increasingly in a way that he wants you to know him. When we read words like the spirit of wisdom, revelation, and the knowledge of him, those are really big sounding spiritual words, especially the word revelation. Doesn't that sound like a big spiritual, mystical word that somehow you could never achieve? Listen, when we talk about revelation, it is simply accessing the things about God that can be known. We talk about Revelation, it's understanding the self-disclosure of God. God wants you to know Him. And it's not finding some Bible code in the original text, it's not going on some big mystical journey, it's not getting into some kind of a trance where you think that God has some kind of special, exclusive relationship just for you. No, Paul is talking about the the things about God that can be known. His attributes, his character, his will, his ways. Do you know God in a way that you can say, I understand his character. I understand his will and his ways. I know what he likes and what he doesn't like. Well, if you want to get to know God, you can ask him to reveal himself to you, notice, through the spirit of wisdom. The word spirit there, capitalized, that's the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit that illuminates God's word to us, that which can be known. Notice in verse 18, it says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. Did you know that your heart has eyes? Your heart has eyes. And there are things that your heart needs to see. All of us have blind spots in our lives and we need people to come and help us to see things that we can't see. This morning, I got all dressed. I'm about to head out the door. Andrea says, hey, before you walk out the door, you might wanna know that you missed a loop in the belt. Thank you very much, that was a blind spot. I can't see that spot right there. And so many times when I'm talking to people who need to go deeper in their relationship with God, I just want to say, if you could just see what everybody around you could see. If you could just know how good God is, you would trust him. If you could just see the months and years down the road of the consequences of the choices that you're making, if the eyes of your heart could just see into the future that the decision you're making right now is going to have awful consequences, you would make a different decision if you could just See it, I have this little backup camera on the back of the uh, Toyota Highlander that I drive and it has prevented me from killing children (laughs) and running over bicycles and smashing fluffy white dogs in the driveway because I can see in the blind spot. Everybody in this place can know God so that you can see in a way that is going to prevent you from causing incredible damage if I could just get you to see it. That's what the Apostle Paul says, we all need to ask God for the ability to see. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened and he tells us there's three things that he wants us to see. They are signified by the word what in the English translation. I want you to see it. Second part of verse 18 says this, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is his immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. So what does God want you to see? First of all, he wants you to see the hope to which he has called you. The better you know God, the more hope you will have. Let me ask you this question. How do you feel about the future? How do you feel about the future? I saw a poll this week when people were asked about how they feel about the election. 82% of them said disgusted. I don't know if they were trying to imply that the candidates were disgusting, but they were were disgusted by the whole process I guess. Now listen, you may feel disgusted, but if you do not in some sense feel hopeful, it's because you don't know God deeply enough. The deeper you know him, the better you know him, the more of his revelation you have saturating your mind, the more hopeful you will feel. Having the eyes of our hearts opened to the hope to which he has called us is the cure for hopeless, fearful, despair, and anxiety. If those things are flooding you right now, it's because you've lost hope. And God wants you to see the better you know Him, the more hope you will have. Here's the second thing He wants you to see. Oh, let me give you a definition of hope. Here's the definition of hope. Hope is the confident expectation of a glorious future guaranteed by God's faithfulness. Hope is rooted in the understanding that God is good and God is in control, no matter what I see going on around me. Occasionally I have opportunities to, to speak at funerals. It's often a sad occasion, but if this person knew the Lord and walked with the Lord, as tragic as the circumstances that might have surrounded that person's death at every funeral, the message is the same. We have to believe that God is good and God is in control. And if I can get there, if the eyes of my heart can see the hope to which he has called me, then it doesn't matter what's going on around me, I can be assured. There is a glorious future that is guaranteed by God's faithfulness. The second thing that he wants the eyes of our hearts to see is this, he wants us to see what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. You see, the better I know him, the more glory God receives. Now, I want you to see the word inheritance there at the end of verse 18. Does everybody see that word? Underline that word. And then I want your eyes to go back up the page to verse 14. Do you see the word inheritance in verse 14? You see, last week we studied verse 14 and we found out that God has an inheritance waiting for us. I am an heir because I am an adopted child of God. God has an inheritance waiting for me in heaven. How many excited about getting that inheritance? Ready for that? That's coming to you. That's coming, it's guaranteed, right? But I also want you to see this. In verse 18, the word inheritance there is not referring to your inheritance. What is the pronoun preceding glorious in that text? This is referencing God's inheritance. Do you know that one of these days, God is going to receive his treasured inheritance? And do you know what it is? It's you. You are the glorious inheritance of God that one day he is going to fully receive. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance? Do you understand the implications of this? Again, this is the one indicative in this passage that's about you. I am, my identity is a glorious inheritance for God. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, I am a glorious inheritance. Do it, do it, do it right now. All right. Now, remember through this series what you're supposed to say back to the person? What are you supposed to say back to the person? Then act like it. Claiming you're a glorious inheritance if there's no glory shining off of your character in your life, you're acting all ungodly, telling lies, and being deceitful. You can't be acting like that if you're going to be claimed to be a glorious inheritance. You see, the indicative precedes the imperative. If you are a glorious inheritance, then there ought to be some of God's glory dripping off of you every day, waiting to become what God already says you are. That is your identity. You see, the better I know God, the deeper in relationship I go with him, the more glory he receives as it is reflected off of my life. I am his treasured, glorious inheritance. That is the cure for boredom and insignificance. You ever feel like you're not valued in significance? I don't even matter at all down here. I'm just bored. I don't even know what I'm doing. Hey, if you're a glorious inheritance, you are incredibly significant to God. And he's got a mission that he wants you to get on. Why are you so bored? There is stuff to do for him, shining and radiating his glory in this life right here, right now. The better I know God, the more glory he receives. Here's the third thing that he wants your eyes the eyes of your heart to be open to. Verse 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? You can sense that Paul is even struggling to to describe how powerful God is. How much power, how do you measure God's power? Do Do you measure that in kilowatts? Do you measure it in calories? How do you measure it? You can't. Paul says it is an immeasurable greatness toward us. It's not just some random power of God. God has given us access to his power. It's toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, and Paul's like scratching his eye. I just, how can I get them to understand how much power is available to these people? If I just had an illustration of how powerful God was so that they would understand that they can access God's power, and so he scratches his head and he finally figures out, oh, 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 I've, I've got an illustration of this, something that, that they will understand how powerful God is that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead for crying out loud. All right, we have a dead man and the power of God raised that dead man back to life. Is there any question how much power is available to you who believe? Do you understand what he's saying? The same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead is available to you to carry out every assignment God gives. Don't be talking about how you're too tired to come to church. I like the old Keith Green song, remember that? God raised Jesus from the dead, but you can't even get out of bed. (laughs) Like, come on. The same power that he worked in Christ to raise him from the dead is available to you to do everything God assigns. That is the cure for exhaustion and weakness. Now we get tired. Some of you are like, I just don't know if I can serve in that nursery one more time. I just don't know if I can be out there on the parking lot, the weather's starting to get cold again. I just don't know if I can go to some place down in Keller Park and serve another meal. Listen, God's immeasurable greatness is available to you to serve Him without limit. The better you know Him, the more strength you will have. Are you exhausted? Are you tired? You've got to get to know God better, and He will give you the power to do everything He asks you to do. J.I. Packer has written a a famous book, top 10 book in my library, called Knowing God. Have you read Knowing God? Classic book, every, that's required reading for everybody, Knowing God. And he says, those who know God have great energy for God, have great thoughts of God, great boldness for God, and great contentment in God. Do you know him? If you know him, you'll receive all the strength that you need. If you could just get your eyes open to the reality of the hope that you have, the glory God wants to receive from your life, and the strength that is available to you. Do you know him? Do you want to know him better? Do you want to learn more of his character and his greatness and his power? That's not a rhetorical question. I'm asking, I need an answer here to validate that I'm on track with you. Do you want to know his power? Was anybody awake this week at one o'clock a.m. on Thursday morning? How many of you like me were glued to a television watching something that looked like that? (laughs) Seventh game of the World Series 10th inning, after a rain delay, the score is tied six to sixth, and a batter named Ben Zobrist steps to the plate. Facing a two-strike count with a runner on second base, the go-ahead run, Ben swings, fouls off the first pitch. And then he swings at the next pitch and hits a line drive down the third base line that scores the go-ahead, eventually the winning run in the seventh game of the World Series which gave the Chicago Cubs their first World Series title in 108 exhausting, hopeless years. Did you see it? and Ben Zobrist was named the most valuable player. How would you like to have as a part of your resume, your identity, I am the MVP of the World Series that gave the Chicago Cubs their first title in 108 years. Would you like to have that as part of your identity? Well listen, Ben Zobrist knows God. As a matter of fact, earlier in the year he was recorded to say this, I still have a lot to learn about the love of Christ and what it's like. It's not just knowledge, it's allowing the truth to change you, allowing Christ's message of grace and hope and love Through the cross, that is the message that changes the way we look at everything in our lives. He must have been coming to harvest and realizing the indicatives (laughs) govern the imperatives. It changes you when you know him. He says, I've seen where my heart is without God and it is not impressive. I can't be perfect, but there is a life that I should be looking to that is perfect. That's Christ. Christ came to be what we couldn't succeed where we couldn't succeed. If your eyes of your heart could just be enlightened to know him, you'd have all the strength that you need to do everything that he asked. Here's the third thing. Praise God for lifting Jesus higher. Praise God for lifting Jesus higher. Look down here at the end of verse 20. It says, he has seated him at the right hand of of the heavenly places. Apparently there is a throne room in the heavenly places that Jesus is seated upon. It goes on in verse 21, far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, presidents, governors, mayors, kings, and kings, editorializing now, but it's all there, right? Rulers and authorities and powers and those who have dominion on earth. They are all under Christ, even above every name that is named. You see, once you know God better, you will lift Jesus higher, higher than any rival. Do you understand that your heart was made to lift something higher? God made your heart. It's called worship, and your your heart is going to worship. The default setting on your heart is to worship. Now, everybody worships. The question is, what does your heart lift higher to the exalted place? Everybody lifts something to that. Some people lift the Chicago Cubs to the exalted place. Some people lift presidential candidates to the exalted place. Some people lift boyfriends or girlfriends or educational pursuits or careers or business. Everybody has something at the highest place. Paul wants the Ephesians to know, do not let any competing rival have the highest place in your heart. Jesus and Jesus alone is worthy of the throne, not only in the heavenly places but in your heart. And before you will see him enthroned in heaven, you must have him enthroned on earth in your heart, higher than any ruler, authority, power, or dominion, higher than any name that is named. Don't let somebody have the highest place in your heart. I've been burdened for the presidential election and I was just uh, what are we gonna do? I don't know about this thing. I was thinking about even the, the names of the presidents in my lifetime. So there was, uh, there was Johnson, and then Nixon, and then Ford, and then Carter, and then Reagan, and then Bush, and then Clinton, and then Bush, and then Obama, and on Tuesday we're gonna know who gets the next name. And yet, there is a hope and a calm in my heart that no matter who is named around midnight on Tuesday night is the president, that Christ is a higher Name Above every name that is named. Do we understand that the president is not our savior? Christ is our savior. There is salvation found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind whereby we must be saved. The president can't save us. And we shouldn't look with an idolatrous heart to any man, any power, any ruler, or any dominion to do the things that only Christ can do in our world and in our hearts. Been thinking and praying and like, what should I tell the church about the election? And here's my best effort. What should we do when we live in a republic where we get to choose the rulers that rule over us. There are no morally good choices in this election. Um, Some people have said well you have to choose the lesser of two evils and then other people say well you should never choose evil. The truth of the matter is every president is flawed and so by default we always choose the lesser of two evils because no president is perfect. But unlike any other time in our nation's history, each of these candidates is repulsive (laughs) to those of us that value integrity, honesty, humility, and moral purity. So what do we do? Should we just stay home and suck our thumbs and pray? No, we should vote. And the reason is we are blessed to live in a country that still lets People who love Jesus vote. There may come a day when they take that away. And so until they do, we should vote for the rulers that will eventually persecute us. (laughs) How are we going to explain to our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world that live under persecution that we got a vote and they didn't, but we didn't use it. So we should vote. Because if we don't vote, we're handing power over to godless people Lawmakers who will make godless laws that will likely silence and oppress those of us that love Jesus and the gospel that we are proclaimed, that we are commanded to proclaim in the world. So it's the responsibility of every Christian to seek to influence their government because we live in a republic and we're given a vote. Elections are not popularity contests. It's not about competing personalities. Now in a 24-hour news cycle when people are trying to get people to watch the news, all we hear about is the personalities of the candidates. But if we are wise, we will understand that the elections are not about personalities. Elections are about competing worldviews. We have to look behind, around, and underneath the two candidates to discern who to vote for. What platforms are they standing on? We must make a choice based on which platform best represents a Christian worldview. We must make a choice in America based on a two-party system. And these two political parties Give us two very different worldviews. They offer two very different views of government. They offer two very different Supreme Courts. They offer two very different futures for America. So the two platforms. Offer different views on things like abortion, human sexuality, marriage, gender identity regulations, religious liberty, the use of the military, protection from radical Islamic terrorists, support for Israel, immigration, taxes, school choice, healthcare reform, racial discrimination, yada, 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 yada. I mean, it just, the list goes on, but there is a clear divide and clear distinction between the two platforms. And God is not silent on any of those issues. So if you know God and you know his will and his ways, you will inform yourself of which of these platforms is more consistent with what he has revealed in scripture. In order to make an informed choice, you have to be familiar with God's view and the platform's view. So here's my counsel to you. Read the two party platforms, consider the consequences that each candidate would implement if they implemented those two platforms, cast your vote exercising godly wisdom. And understand this, presidents have been elected and fade into history. Kings and kingdoms have come and gone. Nations have risen and fallen. Through it all the church of Jesus Christ has endured carrying the message of hope. The church was here before America was. It will be here after America crumbles into dust. And we have hope that God is exercising control through it all. We rest in the knowledge that Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, far above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion. He has put all things under His feet. Christ has been given to us as the head over all things Christ will fulfill every empty place, in every empty person, if you know him deeply, you can trust him completely. And if your identity is in Christ, you don't have to worry. You don't have to fret. You can be confident that Christ is still in control of everything in every way. So on Tuesday, cast your vote for president and put your hope in Christ. That is our true identity. Look at verse 22. He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. There is one organization, there is one agency, there is one body that God has promised that will never fail. Do you know what it is? It's the church. So if you want to know him better, if you want to lift him higher, lift him higher than any body. Two words, any organization, any government. Do you understand the scripture says that the government rests upon his shoulders? You understand that? Let me invite you to stand right now, and I just want to read to you this last verse. Verse 23 says this, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What does that mean? He fills all in all. The NIV translates it this way, he fills everything in every way. Do you have any empty places in your heart this morning? After you cast your vote, you're gonna feel empty. After you eat a big meal, you're still gonna feel empty. After you go and consume all kinds of entertainment or sports, is there still an empty spot in your heart? It's because nothing else can fill all the empty space in you in every way. Christ fills everything in every way. And so this morning, would you in a fresh new way just bring the emptiness to him? Would you trust him completely and let him know, God, I want, I want to know you better. I want to trust you at a deeper level. And as we walk out this life, we understand that we have an opportunity to be the glory of God as the church, shining and radiating when all the other systems and organizations are melting down around us. That's the opportunity that we have as a church. Are you connected to this church, a place where your faith can go deeper and you'll be loved by other people? That's the kind of church we're building. And don't think that you can get to know Him apart from his body, the church. We're gonna end this morning by lifting the name of Jesus higher than any other name, name the team's gonna come out. And I want this time to be a time where you sing with all of your heart and lift the name of Jesus higher, knowing that our hope is not in a president, It's not in a political party. It's not in a platform. It's in Christ alone who is exalted over all. Let's give him the glory he deserves.